The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? Hope you're taking care of yourself in whatever way that works for you. I hope that you are avoiding the craziness of the news of this planet and I hope that you are just looking after yourselves the best way you know how. And one of those ways is spending some time with us on the Persistent and Nasty podcast. This week, I am chatting to the incredible Amelia Donker. Amelia is an actor, writer, facilitator, and all-round completely inspiring human being. We chat so much about um, how our industry should be moving forward, what it can be doing, what care looks like in our business, what we're failing to do. We talk about class, um, we talk about gender, we talk about, we brush on politics but try to stay away from it but it's intertwined in everything and the love of our craft and our business and I hope that all of you enjoy it as much as I did. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty, send us a little email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can also follow Louise and I on social media if you choose to do so. I am at Elaine.stirrit on Instagram and at Elaine Stirrit on Twitter. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. Remember to like, subscribe, download and review the episodes. It really, really makes a huge difference. You know, those algorithms are tricky and we want to share our amazing guests with as many people as we can. We are doing lots of advocacy work and trying to make change in the business, but the podcasts really are a celebration of our guests and a celebration of their craft and life and wherever that has led them and it's really important I think to lift each other up especially when it can be easy to pull each other down so to that I say for this episode get yourself whatever you want and raise the roof to yourself your colleagues friends peers people you admire um our trans siblings or non-binary siblings and everyone so whatever you choose to drink but as you know I love a good wee cup of tea sit back relax and enjoy I'm so excited also because you know I feel more and more now we get these times where like when did we used to do this like when did we just talk about us as women making work and then sharing those stories to other women so we remind each other that we can keep making work. I mean, it's really fucking great. Like, uh, yes, like keep ringing the bell. Let's yeah. do this. And it's so important because we're so like, 
oh just so many things it feels at the moment that are just being chipped away again not for just women for all of us <laughs> you know? uh, absolutely and like I've got this huge obsession about care at the moment mm. about like you know I feel like there was a moment throughout the pandemic where we started thinking about what care looks like and thinking about different people's access and ability and I just it just pains me to watch it go yeah you know and I think particularly about the arts where we literally we make work about other humans like at its soul it's about care it's about heart it's about each other but the industry's kind of put it into this thing that's like yeah but we've got to sell it we've got to do this like you've got to be efficient you've got to have this and I and like I've just noticed recently some of the things that people do producers directors casting directors you know near and far that just do things that are so uncaring and I just think we've lost the plot I know <laughs> I literally was thinking that today actually um when something came up because um well I should introduce you to our listeners <laughs> okay. I should do that I mean you know but uh, I will do that in a little second. But, you know, both you and I are involved with him. Um, uh, well, we're both on the Women's Committee. We are. Uh, and um, we're both uh, involved in the Working Class Network. We are indeed. Um, and just something came through today on our chat that we have about castings and things like that. And I just had a little pause and I thought, how after all the chat about how we're going to make the industry better and we'll come back to it in a different way and we'll really, as you say, put care at the front and the people who make it at the forefront. And yet, let's be honest, we're really only a year back into things properly, if we're truthful. And not even that. And not even that because we've had numerous breaks and things like that. And it feels actually worse than it did before. Mm-hmm. But didn't you feel, I, I felt this fear. I felt this fear before, before we got here, because I thought yeah. when we start to get out of it and I, and we're not out of it, you know, we're still, we're still really in the trenches with this, but I just thought when we get out of it, they're just going to start making excuses, yeah. you know, oh, the thing is we can't because everything, you know, in fact, they're going to use it against us because of pre- precarity, because things are fragile actually I can't take that risk oh oh no oh no like oh all those women over there or you know like oh a queer subject oh no this oh we can't take the risk you know I I had a a, a casting for like a huge it's like a big um tour I don't know what they called like um, I don't know like top scale tour I don't know the word like a commercial tour yeah that's it that's the words a commercial tour (laughs) and um and I read the script and I was like oh this is so horrific and so like, it's just like a misogynist dog whistle, uh, horrific. And and then I watched and then I've seen it. I, I just turned it down. I was like, I don't want to do that. Cause I just thought if there was ever a time that I'm just going to start thinking, what do I actually want to do? Even if I just sit on my bum all the time, don't do anything. I think I'd rather that than do work that just feels so far away from what I care about. And then I saw posters for it. I was in Brighton a couple of weeks ago and I saw posters for it. And I just was like, yeah, see, you've gone for the the C-list celebs there. And like, this is the thing like that. And also like no shade on C-list celebs because, you know, you're people too. But what I'm saying is that you just see people, you know, like going back into that thing of just purely thinking about who sells tickets, the name sold tickets. And then they've just got a few like namey in very inverted commas. And 
and no one cares about and I don't want to be like wanky but I don't know does anyone actually care about the work I'd love to ask the director of that show like do you actually give a shit like did you think oh god yeah this makes my heart burn no fucking way did you Mm -mm. I was just to pay the bills yeah I mean you know Stephen Berkoff was always one of those ones who did his like terrible you know movies and all of that because he was like well I'll do that so I can pay my mortgage and then I get to go and make the art that I really want to make and um and I get that because there is as much as we might not want to see it and admit it there's a market for that people want to go and see a step somebody that's been in a soap on stage yeah yeah, yeah. and also don't get me wrong because listen we all have to pay our bills and I guess it's like why it can't just be about individual choices like mm. it's got to be about like what we collectively bring to to the to the industry because alone you know I say all this and it's like I did two adverts last year and I literally was like oh my god thank you so much thank you thank you dear lord thank you you know like and I remember when I was at drama school being real kind of what a twat I was like being like oh people who do adverts like you're such a sellout and now I'm like this please just one like just give me some respite like oh that'd be amazing so it's not about individual choice and at this point so many of us are just surviving yeah you know like because of the pandemic but also before that like you know I talk from the perspective of an actor so much of my career has been about surviving like just how I hang on like how I persevere, like just when you're like, oh, okay, I'm just trying to like, um, trying to marry like working in Harvey Nichols um, with also like trying to like, then like drop everything to go to an audition and then like move into my next job at like this other department store and then and then like working behind the bar and then do, you know, it's just been survival. Yeah. And so of course, if someone says, I'll pay you money to act, even when it's a shit show, you're like, oh, I get it. So it can't just be about us individually saying like, I'm better because you know who gets to be better? Rich people. Exactly. They get to make the choices. Welcome to the um, Persistent and Nasty podcast. (laughs) On that mic drop moment. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'd rather do this thing. And you're like, of course you fucking rather do that thing because you can make that choice. Yeah. You know, Uh, and, and we pretend, you know, we pretend it's a meritocracy all this thing if you work hard enough and but yeah of course it's bullshit like it's 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 so hard without doing like the woe is me thing because we're we're all in it together or and 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 you know the fucked up thing is we all are you know like most of us uh are are what I want to just say like normal in like the most glorious and brilliant way that 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 normal can present and yet and yet I look at like the people who are really like lifted high in this industry. And you're like, oh, how do they all know each other? Oh, they went to the same school. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, they're, they're, they're godparents, that person, this is this. Like, I mean, it's my real bugbear. Like, it's my real, <laughs> I just get so frustrated. I mean, our industry is bred on nepotism, always has been. And we know that, but you know, there's, it certainly feels like for me, even like since I've been out in the quote unquote big bad world of uh, this industry, which is a long time, um, it's got worse though. Mm. I mean, it is, has always been a, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, and I hate that 
that is a thing. But then I also do believe that there are people who get through sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But and and there are. Yeah. But it's and, not and enough, are. And, and that's and that is the problem that sometimes like exactly um you know Sylvia Winter I'm really sorry I'm doing an MA at the moment so sometimes I'm like oh I'm just connect going to connect this to a book that I'm reading and I'm no, like because we will need to talk about your MA and <laughs> we absolutely have to so please so please keep continue. going but Sylvia Winter talks about this thing of um exceptionalism and she's like and she's talking about it about black people that basically they do this thing of like look at that exceptional black person so that they can be like if that one person could do it, that just means all the rest of you black folk, you just deserve to not have it. You know, so actually you find, you let like one person through and that works across across many things around race, around gender, around ability, like all of these different things, sexuality. If you let a couple of people in, you go, hey, look, we let them in. So obviously we're not insert any word here. Yeah. But of course what they do is then and and this again is an individual people's fault but what they do is then just make it seem they get like they put the veil over our eyes of going like anyone can do anything and you're like nah I call bullshit yeah absolutely um so well listeners you can tell where this episode is going today and I'm so <laughs> happy um I'm loving it already but Amelia I want to just you know celebrate you and your path of how you're here uh, and uh, doing your Emmy. So let's have a little potted history of Amelia Donker. Ooh. 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 <laughs> you know when you're like, <laughs> I'm about to uh, turn 36. So I'm having this real like, oh, like where am I in my life? And you know what? I'm like, I'm in a really fucking good place. I love to be in 36. Yeah. I'm really proud of everything I've done. I've got great people around me. And like more than anything, I am galvanized to just like fight with fire um and I think I've always had that like from potted history I'm from uh, a little town in the Midlands um and uh I'm I'm brown and I'm from very white town which uh I think speaks to a bit of the way uh the way I am now in in lots of different ways which you know you can sit with me in therapy and we can talk more about that um but I I did national youth theater and was like and suddenly was like oh my god real people do do acting as a job this this seems wonderful I'll do it uh and I was super lucky and um and then I met people who were at drama school and just thought I'm going to do this I went to Lambda um hated it <laughs> I've blacked out so much about my time at Lambda but I do I spend a bit of time you know dropping into drama schools and speaking to people now and you know when you're like things are actually getting better on that front and I know you do uh, a lot of work as well going into drama schools and just even the ability like just to shift the power dynamic a little bit so that it's not just a like you take whatever shit you're given Mm-hmm. like people being like just like whatever even within like within the the cohort of students like someone just saying something really racist to your face and everyone's just like because <laughs> we just didn't know any better like that and that was the kind of excuse um so yeah horrific time at lambda but also you know built me into who I am made amazing friends um and then I've just had like a wild ride for it. the first decade was absolutely just you know like I was saying before, like it was just me holding on. Yeah. And I'd and I'd get a job 
And then I'd have an extended period of time doing, you know, all the other things, the telesales, the the shop job, the bar, the restaurant, uh, the reception, you name it, I've done it. Events work. Um, and I'm very good at that stuff. Like it, I, I'm very good at that stuff, but it is hard. It is so hard, like the labor, um, the emotional labor of doing that kind of work where you're always on for people mm-hmm. and, and it's not necessarily what, what you want to be doing. And then basically, and then like, I guess like the last five years, uh, then I'm like, oh God, this is really cool. Cause actually I'm mostly, I mostly just do acting and, and voiceover and, um, and I do like facilitation work as well. And uh, most of the time I just feel really lucky, Elaine. Like I feel really lucky that I got to hold on because if yeah. I didn't make it to 30 and, and that I had a couple of like really nice jobs that just got me into like, Oh, I'm sticking. Oh God. I don't, I, I, I don't think I would have like still been here and, and, you know, and we all know this, but this job isn't about talent. It's yeah. not about how good you are. It's, aside from all the other crapness in this kind of like matrix of how we do it, but it is just, it, it's persistence. And I love that you're persistent and nasty because it is that (laughs) it's just like, "Mm, I'm still, I'm still doing this. I'm still going to say it. I'm still going to be slightly wild me that people don't appreciate, you know, I'm still going to be the person they're like, are you not going to put a little bit of makeup on? I'm like, nah, sorry. (laughs) Are you not going to do something with your hair? Nah, sorry. And I've just learned to be okay with that. Maybe that's my thirties. I'm sure there are plenty of 20, 20 year olds who also are okay with that, but I wasn't. And then like in my thirties, I'm just like, this is me. I think there's definitely, I think that's so true. And I do wonder, like, cause I kind of look at the kind of Gen Z and, um, you know, those that are in their early twenties, so 21, 22, and they do seem far more forthright than um, us millennials ever were. Yeah. Um, and I think we had a lot of baggage from <laughs> generations before kind of heaped on us that we were like, uh, okay, I can't actually say that I'm not okay with this. So I'll just keep my mouth shut. And like, yeah. you know, I'm sure you do the same. You look back at stuff that you let slide in your twenties that you would just now, I would be like, absolutely not. And I, and I do think be, I would love to talk to um, those of you that are 21, 22 right now about this. Mm. Um, but I do think that there is a shift happens. Probably like for me, it was like 32. And I just kind of went, fuck this. Yeah. Like you're either going to like me and employ me because I'm actually damn fucking good. Or you're not. And I, at 20, in my 20s, I was like, give me the job, please give me the job. I promise I'll work so hard for you. I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll be really good. Oh, I even the idea. Yeah, I know. Even But even the idea that you think that, that, that you think that's what you have to portray. Yeah. And then actually, like, I, I, so, I, I so agree with you. And it's the difference between when you go, I, I'm not even going to pretend to keep my mouth shut because I think you should want to employ me. You know, that difference between when you think you're a puppet and you're like, hello, I'm going to come and I'm going to play this role really well. And now I'm like, I want to be employed for me because actually it's me that gets pulled into the role, but not just the role, into the rehearsal room, into the space that we build. Like that's, this is about, it's not just about the thing on stage of like, how well can you do this? It's a, it's a bigger thing. 
it's it's about the communities that we build it's about stuff on and off stage including yeah. then you know I'm really interested at the moment and this notion of um again, care again but care spaces within the theatre so how might we be able to show care to our audience give them space for charged or challenging uh productions to talk about their feelings not for reviews not to sell it you know not a vox pox like what do you think oh it was amazing but like to talk about how it landed with you because mm -hmm. there's been some amazing work the last few years that has really challenged me and I want to stay in the trouble I want to stay with that I don't want to just walk away and go oh well I've, I've done my theatre thing and I wonder what it would be and obviously I'm in the art so it's easier for me to stay with it but what that would be if we made spaces for more audience members mm. to stay with it to build other connections to investigate what that relationship is between performer and audience so it's not just like this banking system of I'm on stage and I give it to you but also what do the audience give to us so it becomes more reciprocal like for me mm. like you know that's that's where I'm really interested in going in our in our theatre world that become that that is it's transgressive yeah it's not just about stars on stage it's about us finding a, a Oh, I almost said a level playing field, which feels too much like leveling up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh God. Not, 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 not leveling up. A level playing field. Different. Yeah. Totally, totally different. Totally different. Totally different. They are not getting <laughs> to claim that phrase. No. Yeah. yeah. You can't steal all the world, all oh. the words. You've got all the words. You've got all the stuff. You've got all the money. You can't steal everything. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> We, we'll come back to that. We'll circle back around to that uh, in a little bit. But that's really, that idea is, I think, so important on the survival of our industry, actually. Um, because we are in a tricky time period for certainly theatre. Yeah. And with COVID and the kind of damage that it's done to that idea of live performance and how we navigate that and how we make sure that everyone is safe from covid but we're forgetting that you know we've been putting on as you say we put on work and i do a lot of a uh, facilitating and teaching as you know and i was talking to some students the other day and i just said to them i was like there's this idea that as an actor you totally lose yourself and you should be able to play any role and all of that and i was like i can see that to a point however it is your physical body that goes through everything on stage and it is your soul that goes through it all whether that's in the rehearsal room and then on stage and if the thing that you are in is challenging and demanding that's happening mm -hmm. to your body that's mm -hmm. happening to your mind that's happening to your soul so it is you there is always a little bit of you and we don't take that on board for the work afterwards yeah and what that can bring up and also what you were saying is really interesting in that sense of you know for you and I as performers we know and we can stay connected with it and we know that you know we can go to the theatre and something might trigger for us and we're like okay well you know we've got to a point in our lives where I imagine for you but I know for myself that I'm aware of that and I've done lots of work on myself so you know I can kind of process that but if I'm just a, a member of the public who loves the theatre and goes along to something and they're like oh go and see that show and then the show happens to have even the tiniest fragment let's just say for example 
uh, a woman in it is spoken to in a really derogatory way. And that triggers something for that audience member. And they leave the theatre and they're left with that. Yeah. And nowhere to put it. Yeah. And and because, you know, and, and there's that there's that kind of triggering that also is about, I don't want to kind of, sometimes I, I, I want to engage with that feeling. You know, I, I want to, I want to know, I'm going to do it again. Angela Davis says <laughs> the, the brilliant thing about art is that you, that you can feel and know, you know, it's about feelings and knowledge mm. and, you know, but then you've got to be able to take it somewhere for it to be, I don't want to say value in a kind of like capitalism efficiency way, but I mean value in a kind of like how we radically change the world way. So, you know, I had tickets to go and see um, White Noise at the bridge uh, at the end of last year. And then my friend couldn't go at the end. And I was too scared to go on my own because I thought this is going to be so challenging for me as a piece. I knew enough about it. I can't go alone and I can't be left in the wind afterwards. So I didn't go. And I just... For me, there's there's an imaginary of of what theatre looks like. And I know also it's convoluted with COVID as well. But even just thinking about what it looks like to offer care at the end, for us to imagine what it might be, you know, and whether that's just even a little like, oh, you know, at the weekend you can log into a little Zoom group or it, it, or it could be in real life. Imagine, you know, basically we have book clubs what about like theater clubs that yeah. just are talking about how you how you feel about it and and you know and there's other times I've seen things that have been incredible and challenging but also I've just gone and drank a bottle of wine afterwards you know yeah. and that's the truth yeah and that is and that is for me who also you know has skin in the game and yet still kind of hasn't dealt with it brilliantly or or maybe hasn't um like like pulled out all of the things I want because I felt a bit scared about it and I just I I wonder what theatre could look like if we open our hands more you know to other people and and ask for them to give back and then it just you know doing this weird rocking motion but that becomes it it becomes what theatre is which is this kind of communal storytelling exactly that excites change that is provocative but in a in a loving way and I don't always mean I'm thinking like bell hooks love you know love isn't always easy but like loving in this like in in a glorious brilliant way like I want all our theatre to be full of love I think every building should be full of love without a doubt and I don't think they are right now I think that they're full of money and Mm -hmm. you know and efficiency and lots of other things which I'm sure you probably need but I I think all of our all of the spaces that we make work, all of the spaces that we that we build artistic practice should just be full of love. And I don't even care how hippie-ish that sounds. I mean, like deep muscular love. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. I mean, give me all the happiness anytime. <laughs> all of it. Bring it, bring it, bring it. It's just, it is about how we move and how we change. I So even if that little bit of care is something as simple as in the programme or a leaflet gets handed out to everybody because not everybody can afford to programme people, just FYI, um, when they're paid for their ticket, um, that something gets handed out with a um, list of organisations that people can talk to. Mm-hmm. doesn't need to be huge. It doesn't need to be a big thing. You do, it can be something really small. I saw a show 
2019 at the Edinburgh Festival uh, with the Roaring Girls who we've had on the podcast who are amazing mm-hmm. and yeah. they handed out yeah they handed out a zine at the end of their show uh, which was beautiful because it was lots of different people that um, had wanted to be involved in the show or that they'd got to speak to about this uh, topic and but also what they then did was because um, eating disorders are were discussed during that show and the variety of eating disorders, not just where everybody goes straight away, which is anorexia um, or bulimia, but also overeating and emotional eating and how that's all these things are um, connected. And there was just kind of pointers of where people could go to websites, to organisations, to support groups. Mm, mm. And you know, that was an Edinburgh Festival show. Yeah. And I love the idea of it being a zine as well, because also it's still engaged with with a creative practice. Exactly. Like what they've done is then thought about like how how you can um, like wrestle with care creatively, which then means that we're doing even more exciting work. Like what if everything wasn't always like, oh, you know, a, a bad challenge, but actually is a like, oh, how might we do this? Like, how does this get better? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, your MA, Amelia. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm such a big girl doing an MA. It's so weird because, you know, you start. So I started uh, to, I, you know, when you completely lost sense of time, 2019, I think. No, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. I started in 2020, the, yeah. the, the, the big year of the pandemic. I started 2020 because I was just, I just thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. And I've like in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to do an MA, but I've had all those kind of little things about like, I'm not clever enough. I don't, I don't know enough. I don't have an academic background. You know, my undergrad is in professional acting of which I did not even write my name down. I think it's changed a bit now, but I, I swear I didn't, you know, it's a little bit like, really? I got a degree from that. Okay. And um, <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Uh, but and so I just kind of like took took the plunge. So it's in gender, media and culture. So it's basically feminist sociology. So it's like all the stuff I love has a really critical lens, but through a, through this like feminist outlook. Uh, so I, I, I talk and think a lot about black feminism, about care and creativity, about the arts. And it has fed my soul. It's it's opened me up to also everything I can be like it reminded me and it reminded me how brilliant I was like how I could engage with with these concepts and ideas that I thought might be beyond me and actually they're not you know and and I think that's the other thing about people who work probably across lots of different parts of this profession who kind of end up having getting like really blinkered about themselves. Like we can get, we can see ourselves as really small. Like if you don't get work all the time, if you're not feeling great about yourself and let's be honest, being freelance, you can not feel great about yourself a lot. And, and you can start to think that you, that you don't have as much value or you can't, you can't do things. And doing this MA has just made me realize how much we learn working in this industry, like how much we learn about behavior, about, our ability to analyze and read and critique, uh, you know, how political so many of us are. And and I get to put that down uh, on paper, but in really creative ways. I've written loads of poetry with it. You know, it's a goldsmith, so you can kind of get away with a, a lot of stuff. And, and, it, and it's really just opening me up like 
I think I was doing it because I was doing some script writing before. So I thought I kind of wanted to land that a little bit. And but it's just been a really brilliant thing to do to remind me how like the potentiality of all of us, like yeah. even through all of, you know, and there's lots of like stuff like I do a module on race, empire, nation. And it's basically it's so dark and so deep. And each week I just think, oh, my God, this stuff is so sewn into the the culture of you know specifically this country but you know the world is full of a lot of pain and you can have moments where you just go what's the point and then and then just the tiniest things happen or you read this incredible essay or you come across this great thinker uh and you think oh no actually there is more and actually and then I realize it's not just in academia and like I guess coming from the positionality of being um from the arts I've been able to kind of push the boundaries of what what is critical thinking what what is academic uh, and how do we play with that and yeah it's it's been really big for me and uh you know and it's obviously difficult because <laughs> financially you're like cool I'm taking on more now but I'm so pleased I did it I'm still doing it I haven't finished it yet um I'm so pleased I kind of put myself in that and took that risk because it's reminded me a lot about what I can do and that feels a really great thing to be doing in your mid-30s where you're like there's so much more to come yeah yeah and it's so true there's so much more to come yeah and there is definitely something that you've just touched on there that um actually Louise um my co-founder and a co-host who can't be here Louise (laughs) um said just a couple of weeks ago on our kind of um four-year anniversary of PNN podcast um and it was talking about that thing of being an artist and I and I don't want to talk for all artists whatever kind of form you take but there is something we do put ourselves out there so much that it can be really soul damaging Mm -hmm. and it hurts it's like little tiny wounds every so often when you know um the rejection or the not getting work and the not getting to do the thing that is intrinsically you like it's so ingrained in every part of us and but it's also and I think in our industry in particular in the performing industry we do get pigeonholed quite quickly so if you do love to do different things you know if you do love to teach as well as perform it's almost seen as you've kind of given up if you do more teaching than performing. And, and that is, they, they feed you that from early on. Mm-hmm. And that, and like, this is the bit where you're like, uh-uh, where, mm-hmm. where you go, I'm so incredible because I also do this. Yeah. I also go and like facilitate um, big, like diversity, equity, inclusion sessions with like major corporations. Yeah. I'm like, I'm super smart. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, of course I have my times. And and now because I feel, you know, and you've really created this space, I feel in celebration mode. So I'm like, yes, like I can do these things. Of course I have these moments, you know, massive imposter syndrome where I'm also like, oh my God, they're going to know. They're going to know I don't really know what I'm doing and like all of the different things I do. But I think we were taught that, weren't we? To, mm-hmm. you know, you're only good if you if you do as as actors, if you earn all your money from acting so the yeah. minute you get your first part-time job you're like oh I'm worthless yes your worth is so wrapped up in getting an acting job mm-hmm. and that is incredibly damaging 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I love listening to you talk about your MA is the fact that, you know, you've found the joy in yourself of how, as you say, how great you are. And how it and and how that then unfolds into lots of different realities, which is so exciting. Like um, I did a, a session with some drama school students last week talking about anti-racist feminist praxis and what that looked like. And they were going off and thinking about making pledges of what they would do and like finding artists that they that they thought they should share and ideas. And and I just thought this, these were conversations that were not being had, certainly when I was training 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And even just us uplifting that, us uplifting that we are that we are kind of multifaceted human beings who have lots of interests and, and wonders and curiosities. And we can feed all of that into us as performers, as writers, as teachers. And that makes us fuller. Mm. Like the, 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 the difficult jobs that you've done gives you so much insight into different lives. You know, I mean, the, the, like circling back to the stuff that we're talking about class and wealth, you know, the fact that I truly believe being state school educated is is just the the best thing ever because you get to know a wealth of different people. Mm-hmm. And and some of the subsequent very posh and rich people I've met just don't recognize different versions of life. Like when you go, "Oh, yeah, like I'm broke." And they're like, "Yeah, me too." And you're like, "You literally live in a four bedroom house in X Y or Z." And you never paid for it. Like, <laughs> n- n- oh, it's just really different, you know. And I think, and, and that is also something that can happen with artists because this idea of precarity where then they go, oh, because I'm not working all the time, I see myself as, for instance, like working class or, um, and like there's a weird like blurring of those lines. And sometimes I think we need to unpick them, not to, not to say like that we don't, not to kind of set everyone apart, but just so we understand different experiences. So we understand different ways into the industry, because I think quite a lot of us hid things, you know, hid parts of who we were or what we had to do to get here because we felt ashamed. Mm. And I think that can particularly happen with women, though not across the board. Um, And then there can be lots of intersections of also, you know, ways that you might want to hide things. I know particularly for me, even acknowledging really, my race is because is a is very recent for me and and like the industry often didn't know where to place me because overall they thought I sounded like quite posh and I remember when I first graduated and they'd just be like oh oh where are you from like no one could get it I was like I'm from the Midlands and it just didn't seem like a thing that they got and like and I think shame is built into a lot of the way that you know we think we should be as performers not on the stage like going into a room we think yeah. we shouldn't admit like I've just actually I'm so sorry I'm late it's literally because I was working a shift and I couldn't get here any earlier you know but that is the reality of of so many of our lives that we hide away but actually it's the greatest fodder for writing for creativity for making and suddenly we're beginning to notice that and obviously people have done for a long time but I, I guess maybe I'm just talking about me now but I've realized I can pour that stuff into other projects I can write scripts I can uh, I can start thinking about, you know, actually saying, how does this thing uh, it, it, like connect with my life and talk about quite specifically? And that feels liberatory. Yeah. Oh my God. 
love it. I love it. Oh, so, so there's so much there that I'm just like, my brain is trying to catch up with itself because it's just everything you've said is so true. And it's those moments that when we're younger and what they do to us and then kind of have that impact. And, you know, like just what you said there about kind of unpicking the class idea, especially within our industry, is really huge because, you know, we all look at people and we kind of go, we make assumptions. We do make assumptions. You know, I've been thinking a lot recently about assimilation and how hard I've tried to assimilate in my life. I I went to drama school and I almost tried to present myself as, in fact, I, I, I did even from NYT, I, I tried to pretend I was posh. So I thought that was what was needed. And I like, and I started like really playing into this role and, and it came from a lot of insecurities. It, it, you know, and I mean, I, God, I did it. I did it at school. You know, I, I just wanted to be like the other people and I never really wanted to acknowledge some of the, the maybe difficulties I had or the confusions I had, particularly around things like family. <laughs> I spent most of my childhood being like, where's my dad? <laughs> Like I'm laughing now because most of the time I'm crying but like (laughs) but I I had this idea of what what I should be and what was expected and I learned to just cover up cover up and like patch up these holes in me and I did it for so long that I started losing sense of like who who me was you know and and really when we think about that thing about being actors who I, I don't want to be ashamed of who I am anymore. I don't want to pretend. And actually I find great fire in really acknowledging who I am, where I've been, what I want to do. Like, you know, you and, you and I speak a lot, Elaine, about just talking about this, this spirit in us that is about bringing on radical change. Yeah. And, and knowing sometimes people think we're a bit gobby and just going, mm-hmm. I know I talk too much loads, but also... I've got a lot of things to say. Yeah. And again, that thing is even just as you say that, going, I know I talk too much. That's that little tiny voice way, way back there going that goes, women, you know, stop talking so much. And it's the imposter syndrome creeping in going, nobody really wants to hear what you're saying. Like, I get that a lot. Like, my internal voice is like, Elaine, why are you still talking? Mm-hmm. Why are you still talking? They've all shut up. They don't care. They don't, they don't want to hear you. And and I often I I often come out of things uh, like across the board of like various different work things that I do and I come away and I just go oh my god you said too much and like also I have um, the way that my brain works is is slightly quite manic so quite often I'm I'm saying things because I am just desperate to get them out because if you ask me in five minutes what I was thinking about I can't find it so I've just got to be like in fact I've started just recording conversations with friends and just you know. Just because I'm thinking, I will never remember what I said. <laughs> I just, I, I can't, you know, there's just, I'm doing like a, some kind of weird verbatim piece just on like me and my mates. But just because I can't, I, I can't remember anything. If I'm trying to hold on to something, um, I, I need to like get it down somewhere. I need to record it because otherwise it's gone. Yeah. I do that as well. And I think I'm like, oh, I interrupt people. And it's not that I interrupt. I I'm, I'm dyslexic. And it's just that it, it comes, it comes in my head and I'm like I need to see it now I need to see it now absolutely but 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 it is but again and so when we talk about like creating an industry a society a world that is accepting of the different ways that we present and 
and want to be. Actually, we do need to talk about it a bit more because I know like the specific intersection of the way that uh, that I with that I present with the, the way that I talk with ADHD, with my gender, with my race, all of these different things. So I'm constantly doing this thing of like, don't talk, do talk. Oh my God, I've got to say this. Oh no, I can't. Oh, people are going to think this. Oh, they do. And then I walk away at, like having those conversations. I, I pretty much always have like seven storyboards open of like what different things happened or what things might happen. Or my friend talks about having tabs open. You know, I'm like, oh God, I've got 12 tabs open. Oh, I can't close any of them. Oh, you just got to like... <laughs> But, but maybe we just need to share a bit about that because mm-hmm. I know, and maybe if you could talk about some of those, the different ways we approach things um, or the way I, I find it really hard to, it, like I'm always much more generative with people. I find it really hard to self-motivate unless I'm in like a hyper-focused place. And, and, it, and I used to feel also really ashamed of that because sometimes I'd just sit and be like, oh, I've not done anything. You know, or like things like line learning, people just go home and have done it. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, I haven't done any of it. And then I have to do this like weird cramming thing at the end. But it's not because I'm lazy. I just couldn't get my focus together. I also have a thing about this as well, right, about rehearsals and how we need to look at our rehearsals. Um, And this I, I also think this is something that we need to look at structurally in life because I look at some of my friends who've got kids who are in primary school and they come home with all of this homework when they're like eight and nine mm. years old. And in my head, I'm like, they've been at school all day. Their little brains yeah. are exhausted and then you're wanting them to do more. And it's the same in a rehearsal room where mm. they are focused all day because you absolutely are and you're in that space and you're present with everyone else in that space and you could be rehearsing from 10 to 6 which I also disagree on I think it should be a 10 uh-huh. to 4 rehearsal yeah. um period so that people can get to go home and make themselves some dinner and have some chill time or go to the gym or go and see a friend or whatever and then you're asking them to go home and line there do more uh, and uh, I, I love that you've said that because I literally uh I made myself a bit of a promise at the end of last year like when just things started coming up and there were maybe a few auditions and just almost trying to say that to directors just saying I've really been analyzing the way that we used to work and I can't imagine ever doing that again you know I did I did like a a big judgy job with the RSC before before lockdown in fact I was I was on tour when lockdown happened and and when I think about that rehearsal process I was we were in just all of the time and I was understudying. So that was extra nights. And it it's literally insane. Like I, I could not do it. I can barely get out of bed some days. Like now, the idea of working to that level not only does not appeal to me, but actually it's counterproductive because mm-hmm. You're exhausted. I was over emotional all the time just because I was so, I just always felt behind, you know. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's a there's a better way. I completely agree, 10 till 4. I completely agree that actually we should be thinking about how we use our time more wisely. Like uh, the RSC, we had months to rehearse. And still, when you got to the end, we still were like, oh shit, we're not there. Because that's just what you're gonna do. So if you just compact the time a bit more, I think you're still gonna get great work because you just work to the time. 
uh, it's ridiculous that we ask people to work full-time hours and then go home and do more. And again, who's it served? Like, you know, people who have caring responsibilities at home don't have, they don't have the ability just to say, oh yeah, cool. Uh, you know, uh, oh, let me spend, and, and then they end up having to stay up half the night or like any number of things. Or if you have any any form of kind of disability that means that that you can't engage with things in that way or that actually your, your, your brain or your body doesn't or can't or doesn't want to do that. Why are we forcing it? And it goes back to that thing about us being humans. We're making work about hum humans and humanity. And yet sometimes we're like, but you're not humans. You must work. You must keep working. You must do it. And I'm like, ah, I think we got this wrong. Oh, we totally did. Yeah. And it's like, you mentioned it earlier and it's the money thing, isn't it? And you know, you look at our industry and you kind of go, and there's that, our industry is oversaturated. We know this. There are way more performers than there are jobs there always has been you know that's why there is the amazing podcast with the two gorgeous uh, Katie and Alexa the 98% because there are 98% of us <laughs> basically you know are just kind of holding on by our fingertips um but it is that thing of the fear and that gets put onto you from drama school as well that if you don't burn yourself out almost well there's somebody else there to replace you and then you won't work again absolutely and like that and the idea you know isn't it funny that we think you're a better actor if you do more jobs so instead of just this thing of you know what if you just did one thing in any amount of time and that gave you joy <laughs> and that filled your bones like what if what if we didn't just say you know how many times have you worked this year you know, mm. what, or who have you worked with? Oh, well, then I think you're good. Like, we, we know it doesn't work like that, but yet we still, we still kind of it, choose to, not choose, that's not fair, but it is, it's built so much into the psyche of performers that yeah. we don't really know how to go back on that thing at, when we know it's bananas. Yeah. It, I, I mean, oh, I can't, yeah, I'm going to just, it is bananas because there's no other word for it. Mm. And we're actually, we're actually damaging each other by doing yeah. this. Yeah. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. where we all get poured into the mud. You know, we all get pulled down by it and it's sticky and dirty and horrible, but we, we've just all kind of gone, oh yeah, this is the way instead of being like, and, and I just truly believe, and you know, I'm on one of my good days today. There is a better way. Yeah. You know? And really, I totally it, agree. There is, yeah. And it doesn't even have to be. And then it becomes about like professionalism and like performers and what's it mean. You know, a hierarchy of the different kind of work that you do. You know, if you work at the national uh, compared to if you work in schools or you know if you worked in care homes or that kind of thing. What if it was about just we were just believed in the truth and beauty of creative arts and just wanted to to spread that? Mm -hmm. What if? Yeah. It would be beautiful because that hierarchy, as you say, wouldn't then make people feel that they're not doing their craft, quote unquote, and they're not being what they should be being. For So if you're doing, if you're going into a care home and putting on a show for people who have dementia and are giving them peace for an hour and a half and you are giving them something, you cannot tell me that that is less important than the people at the National doing follies. Cause it's fucking not. 
because actually if we want to get down to it the care home stuff is more fucking important yeah yeah and and again and then you go back to the thing of like who pays who pays for those big tickets at the national and who you know again so we've we've married this idea of like the biggest places with the most expensive tickets are the best jobs yes. and the smallest places where it's maybe free or you know community based are the worst and like why is that why why is that the thing that that we've that we, that we we've stuck to here it's also the thing we've got the prime example of it right now in the West End. You've got um, cabaret on, right? And it's just you know cabaret, a whole play about struggling artists um, <laughs> who can't afford to do anything, who can barely afford to eat. Yet you know you can buy a ticket for three hundred and fifty odd quid and have your dinner and some champagne and then watch the show. Fuck off! Just don't. Just just don't. And the worst thing is, you know, I'm all like this. I'm boycotting this shit. Da, da, da. And like, the thing is, they don't give a shit. They don't want my money. I also don't have it. So I can't give it to them. <laughs> I'm like this. Yeah, exactly. I'm not giving you my money or my credit card. Oh, oh God. <laughs> no. But, you know, yeah. it, it, it is fundamentally wrong. I, and I do think that is just fundamentally wrong. And, and also it's like the fancy pantsiest kind of, you know, the, the the lead actors in cabaret are also people who already make a lot of money you know so it's this self-generating thing that those kind of people are worth more mm-hmm. it's also capitalism you know mm-hmm. should just I hate capitalism we need to just rip it down <laughs> you know it's capitalism it, it we've tied so we it's not just this industry all of no. us we've tied so much of our worth as human beings with how much we get paid and you know, so it happens with the arts, it happens with with making work in this way, but also it happens with, you know, people, parents think their kids done well if they're like, oh, I'm, no, I was gonna say I'm a doctor. I mean, being a doctor is like, OBS a really great job, but like just that, or okay, let's say a banker because, you know, OBS, that's just not a great job. Sorry, any bankers listening, terrible job, no interest, not bothered, but you earn loads of money and therefore I bet everyone in your life thinks you're amazing got a really yeah. nice house and you've got a really nice car and everyone's like you're so successful and like you would look at someone who is on a much lower salary who works at, you know we've looked through the pandemic like all a of nurse. those people who were key workers a nurse people who work it, just across the board within the nhs whether that's cleaning um care assistance all of those type of things the cleaners sold in, us food the cleaners in our nhs have and always will be one of the most important roles in it and if we want to get political about it um it's why margaret thatcher privatized it in the early 80s because it was a way for her to make money because it was deliberately so don't come at me that she's some sort of feminist because she's actually not (laughs) because what she did was she deliberately took away women because it was mainly women at that point who were doing that job and lowered their wages and were then able to bigger companies to charge the NHS more money but and 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 I know and we also see that across no I'm I'm here with you Elaine like we also see that within um within universities within so many places where then uh all of the cleaning is then put out so it's out on tender even within councils actually you know mm-hmm. uh, so it's out on tender so it's just about pushing the price lower and lower and lower it is predominantly women who work in these roles women or um black people of color immigrants yeah the people that we don't care about paying money yeah you know and yet then we have the cheek to say oh but you're worth less yeah yeah it's it and, and I know and I, I feel particularly about this because at Goldsmiths this this thing this has happened you know I walk around the 
the the halls of goldsmiths and you know it's a very different demographic to those people who teach most classes I'm very lucky because you know actually I've got incredible teachers uh, who just you know blow my mind but in general it's a very different demographic to the people who are paid the most as lecturers or professors or you know whatever their title is and the people who work in security the people who clean the people who serve food and yet goldsmiths has this idea of being progressive but they're constantly cutting back their pay or finding ways to narrow their lives they're also some of the only people that the lowest paid were some of the only people who still went to campus during covid so when everyone else was was you know online they were still going in and i just watched this this breakdown this bifurcation of these two worlds and and like we need to just say it out loud do you know what if I'm really honest I actually have friends who've said shit to me like oh you know but like said shit about like but if you are a cleaner you probably just didn't work hard enough or something I've started cutting people out this is also a time when I should say I've just started cutting people out because literally saying shit like that and I'm like well you have no idea yeah wow yeah yeah yeah. And, you know, we clapped for a bit. We clapped. We clapped for a few months and we pretended that we cared. And then we all just went. Oh. Yeah. There's a bang in Amelia's house and it was like, yeah. it was like, yeah, the universe was agreeing with you. Yeah. It was God knocking. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was God knocking. I'm sorry I've done so badly. Do you have any advice? Oh, I'm so glad you've called. Let me tell you. Plenty. Are you ready? Get a cup of tea because you're going to need it. Could we set up um, a few meetings? <laughs> can't believe we're nearly an hour already and I've barely touched on anything. But I do want to talk to you about your own podcast, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. F Less Travelled. Yes. Um, with yourself and uh, Sabrina. Sabrina. Yeah, yeah, indeed. We, uh, you know, getting into this like feminist sociology place and kind of wanted to. You know, academia for me has been a little bit wild because so much of the the kind of vernacular feels far away from me. And and I I talk. I mean, if you could see me now, I talk with my hands, I talk with my eyes, my face. I'm always moving, and and this isn't always super appropriate. And like, actually, academia felt like it was a place that didn't necessarily want you to pour yourself in. And I the question I guess with the F less traveled was asking how we how I ask feminists to pour themselves in and talk about their their academic and feminist journeys through music and objects in their lives and and books that had spoken to them and really getting to kind of know the heart of people. And it comes back to the the bell hooks stuff I was saying about how we how we bring ourselves in with love. And I've spoken to some incredible people, uh, writers, um, artists, actors, and academics talking about the books that change them, the music that makes them shimmy, and a special object that really speaks to their their feminist fire. Uh, and I feel like cre- creating these new archives of store of stories is just, you know, we're changing this idea of again. We've talked a lot about value. Like, what is of worth? Mm-hmm. Our simple stories are of worth. And we and and we're creating all of these new spaces and places for them to live so that we hold on to these and find the magic in them and can keep coming back and then keep sharing 
and yeah it's it, it was it was a really wonderful journey I did a, a, a series last year and we we're going to start a second series this year but you know life's got a bit crazy so we're going to do it next year <laughs> yeah no I think I think that's the thing with podcasts the joy of it is you can go, go I'm going to come back to it yeah because your listeners are still going to be there yeah yeah because they yeah. want to hear it yeah and because you know like it's so interesting isn't it because in many ways like I'm not quite sure where we're at with like feminism Mm -hmm. I know some people are you know some people are still like actually some people now so far they're like post-feminist they're like oh we did that thing and now we're done and for me it's like I'm really not there but I also am about like us really interrogating what is feminism and there are many types of feminism and there's as there's many type of types of human beings and for me you know a kind of an an anti-racist an anti-ableist uh, uh, uh feminism that is decolonial at heart like we have to it's about putting more stuff in it not about yeah. taking away so when yeah. people are like I think we're beyond feminism I'm like no 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 feminism's getting more robust feminism's getting fuller and bigger feminism as is the title of woman by the way becoming more em- embracing you know Judith Butler talks about the fragility of the, the the term woman and it's always been something that has shifted and changed it in the you know early 19th century black women were not women mm-hmm. they were slaves the title of woman is changing and my role as a feminist is to make sure that we really wrestle with that and make sure that we don't hold on to these to the idea that it can only be one thing because this is about us moving as well, isn't it? It's about things getting, you know, sometimes we hold the flag of I'm a this, I'm a that, and identity is so important, but we also have to be able to let it go yeah, and realize that there's other things and there's new people to hold. There's new things. How do we show more care? How do we show more love? Um, and, you know, particularly now that's for all of my trans and non-binary sisters who are, who are living in such a challenging and, and really quite violent world mm-hmm. and and sometimes from so-called feminists mm-hmm. and and a lot of those feminists whether they know it or not are super connected to um right-wing racist neo-nazi um groups that just absolutely like just look who who you're colluding with right now mm-hmm. and tell me that you're on the right side here it, it it's a really difficult time but also you also see other people just coming out and going uh-uh not in my name yeah <laughs> like hey women we're all welcome yes exactly exactly again we actually mentioned this the other week about it and how for us you know the first kind of things that we did and we put out our call out and we used female identifying and because it was the buzz phrase of the time. And I say that with like no disrespect to anybody, but it was what everybody was using. And we were like, oh, well, we, you know, we want to make sure we're including everyone. So we used that phrase, but actually that phrase is actually excluding because you are a woman. Yeah. You are a woman. Yeah. Whether you were born with a womb or not, you are a woman if that is how you live your life. Yeah. Um, and I, we, persistent and nasty, Louise as well, like we're 
absolutely with you on that Amelia it's like bring it all to us that is how we move forward that is how change happens yeah these pockets and these splinters are not good it is classic misogyny it's classic patriarchy yes um (laughs) you know it's everything that happens can we look at every religion where there's splinter groups I mean the Protestant religion alone is like it's splinters left right and center and therefore you whatever your core value is you lose it because you don't include everyone else in it yeah yeah and I love the fact that you also just spoke to um you know maybe mistakes that you made before or and then you're like oh hang on that's not right I've changed it because I also really welcome that like we none of us are perfect we all of us will make mistakes so I really connect to us calling people in I I'm always I'm always fucking up you know and what I really welcome is that I have huge incredible like group of friends and colleagues who if I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or or even you know share the wrong thing on Twitter or whatever would say hey Amelia can I just point this out to you and really then my work is about going ah okay let me do let I need to look into this a bit more because language changes Yes. You know, language matters, but it's always it's also constantly evolving. So what we just want to do is make sure that we keep checking ourselves, coming back in and listening to other folk. You know, uh, uh, I don't I don't know it all across all the spectrums of stuff. I, d- I need other people to help me. And then we pull each other up. Exactly. It's a it's the finding the beautiful balance. And that's why, because if we're all together in it, then that is what real change looks like. Yeah, because and also because we can't all do it all. We can, uh-uh. uh-uh. and also we all have different lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is collective care. This, yeah. this, I mean, this is this is it where we we just keep bringing us. We keep pouring more and more people in. We we are bigger than them. We we are more inclusive, more wondrous, more exciting, more revolutionary, more radical. Like, we just need to recognise it in each other. Yeah. Oh, my God, I could speak to you for, like, days, actual days. Um, And I do want to have a chat with you at a later point about, um, you know, going into the schools and talking about the anti-racist, feminist point of view, because I think that is so important that that is um, heard, pushed, understood, embodied, Mm-hmm. again I'm doing my hand gestures that nobody can see because forget yep. that I'm on a podcast yeah. I'm like mm. but yeah um because it's so it's just exactly what we've said is about how we to make true change for all of us and it's not again this thing for me it's like I'm not asking for change for just women mm-hmm. I'm asking for change for everyone the patriarchy is killing us all exactly it's like this is not this is not about one set of people it's about all of us you know and we we recognize that different bodies meet oppression in different ways but it's not it's not even a hill you know it's not even like some people at the top and some people at the bottom it is an undulating wild west you know we all deserve to destabilize the systems that are currently in place because they are not working that they're literally working for about 1%. You know, when you think about COVID and you think how billionaires got richer, this, it is not working for any of us, but that tiny, tiny percent, and we all deserve better. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I said, I literally said the same thing to somebody yesterday. I was like, the patriarchy damages every single person on this planet. Yeah. yeah. It's so, um, so the last question I'm going to ask you, Amelia, which is our classic question, although I feel like the whole episode sums this up, is um, what does the term persistent and nasty mean to you? Oh, I love it. And and you're right. It <laughs> This whole episode really has embodied what that is. But it's, do you know what, actually? It's about being persistent in in being able to fuck up as as well. Like, for me, like that persistence that's kept me going as an actor, that's opened doors to me writing and doing more facilitation and speaking and teaching. But it's about like being available to the to the change that those things bring and like being persistent about not knowing. I am persistent in my not knowing about what the hell I'm doing most of the time. And 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 the nastiness is about making mistakes. I'm so unafraid about making mistakes because I think I find more. I I um there's a thing uh, I, I learned um, when I was making a show in November about the etymology of the word apocalypse. And it's about, it's to uncover. So we think of apocalypse as this really bad thing, but actually it comes from like uncovering, finding, interrogating. So let's get nasty. Let's get in the dirt, in the mud. Let's actually let go of this binary of like black and white and right and wrong. Like let's get where it gets super, super messy and weird and stay in that place and keep looking at one another and keep making and keep fucking up and keep changing until something else begins to bubble up. And I will do that persistently. I will try. Love it. Amelia Donker, thank you so much for being on the Persistent and Nasty podcast. What I've loved talking to joy. you. An absolute joy. I am honoured and privileged to be able to stand with you, my sister. Um, until next time, lovely listeners. Stay, stay nasty. nasty.